Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. With new Iranian president Ibrahim Raisi as head of the government, though not of the Islamic revolutionary regime headed by Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei, Iran no longer has an excuse to delay crucial decisions. It has to take care of severe economic and social problems, to choose between further maritime attacks sure to bring about retaliation and a de facto ceasefire on the seas, and perhaps most importantly, to play its endgame in the Vienna talks about the revival of a potentially 2015 nuclear deal in exchange for badly needed sanctions relief. How is Raisi going to navigate these minefields? With us to this uh, to analyze this topic, we're joined from Central Israel by Mr. Meir Javed Anfar, who is an Iran lecturer at IDC in Herzliya. Thank you for joining us, Meir. Thank you for having me. Also joining us from here elsewhere in Jerusalem is Dr. Menachem el who is a research fellow at the Truman Institute at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us as well. Thanks for having me. And with uh, me here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of TV7's Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the latest developments pertaining to this topic. So obviously, uh, just like uh, with any other nation and especially power, and Iran is at least a regional power, policy is being set by national interests, uh, which are basically permanent, and by politics, uh, which can change. And the fact that uh, Supreme Leader uh, Khamenei wanted Raisi to be the president and perhaps uh, his heir apparent, this is uh, yet uh, to be seen, means that we are in for um, relatively early decisions because the situation in Iran cannot wait much longer. Um, And any further delay will cause a lot of suffering for the Iranian people and perhaps uh, also uh, hamper the Iranian bargaining position in Vienna. So uh, before Raisi took over, um, Khamenei made sure that his views on negotiations with the US become known to the Iranian public. He has always uh, been skeptical of negotiating with the Americans, of course, Um, He tried uh, to put it uh, on its head. Um, The Americans should not be trusted. They always promise but never deliver. He has uh, told earlier negotiators, even when uh, Rafsanjani was president, that nothing will come out of it. This seems to be the um, terms of reference for Raisi. It doesn't mean that the negotiations are doomed, only that he is now operating under the watchful eye of the Supreme Leader. Indeed. Mr. Melchavet Anfar, I'd like to ask you specifically about the domestic situation of Iran. Currently, obviously, President Raisi did not really receive that much of the public support in light of the low numbers or the low turnout uh, at the ballots. And seeing that uh, being a factor, it doesn't really impact uh, the regime, uh, regime's function, but at the same time, it demands much more 
or more of a relief to the Iranians in order to somehow stabilize the domestic uh, capacity of uh, the, the Revolutionary Guards to really do whatever they want without much of the protests continuing, at least in the Arab areas and, and uh, the Turkmen areas that are quite widespread. What, what can you tell us about the current situation there in Iran? Well, Mr. Raisi was elected, was selected to the position because, um, first and foremost, because Ayatollah Khamenei watched how from 2017 there were three major outbreaks of, uh, of demonstrations in Iran. In all of these major outbreaks of demonstrations, we never heard the people of Iran say death to America. In none of these grassroots, genuine indigenous de demonstrations, we never heard uh, chance against America. We only heard most of the chants were directed as at the regime, not even the government. I think people didn't didn't even bother with Rouhani. It was at the Islamic Republic. It was at the Vilayat Farih system. It was at Khamenei, and we saw this uh, in one of the in one of the uh, more more widespread ones, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we saw a very large number of attacks against the offices of the representatives of the Supreme Leader in, in, in regional areas. Ayatollah Khamenei realized that Iran is entering a, a crisis point, that the Islamic Republic the regime does not have the support of the people of Iran. Yet at the same time, Ayatollah Khamenei does not want to give up on uh, his revolutionary goals. So this is why uh, Raisi was uh, selected to be the, the president. I mean, the fact that people like Larry Johnny were were uh, were disqualified from running. I mean that that the day you know the day Jonathan the day I heard the list of those who were disqualified to me that was like the, that was the non-violent version political version of, of Iran's night of the long knives which we saw in in Nazi Germany when Hitler eliminated a lot of his. Uh, his, uh, his rivals by force, but this was, a, of course, a peaceful one. So the Islamic Republic is really going through it. We saw a mini revolution within the Islamic Republic. And uh, what is Ayatollah, what is Mr. Raisi, uh, what is he going to do? He's going to do what Ayatollah Khamenei wants him to do because that's why he was selected. Whatever we thought of Rouhani, and there are a lot of criticisms against Rouhani, Rouhani argued against the, this, many of the decisions. Raisi is not going to do that, and he's going to be a faithful soldier. Mr. Melchavi, would you agree with that? Yes, generally, I, I tend to agree. I think um, that, uh, you know, I, I think because uh, the Supreme Leader knows that Iran is entering a critical uh, period, this is going to be a tougher period than the previous one, I think, um, you know, because uh, Corona is not going anywhere. Uh, because the people are so desperate uh, because the election of Raisi was actually uh, telling them that uh, the, you know, the, the gloves are off. The, uh, the whole facade of democratic election of at least part of it in the Islamic Republic is really off the table now. Uh, and um, I think it, it kind of a vicious circle because it actually pushed the Supreme Leader to have a president who will not embarrass him and especially not the Revolutionary Guards, which is something that Rouhani and some of his uh, aides used to do every once in a while uh, to tell the people, you know, part of the problem of the economic problems of Iran are due to the uh, really strangling control of IRGC 
you know, people uh, in the, you know, the bunyads and the, the, the various organizations and conglomerates. Uh, and I think the uh, Supreme Leader was tired of that and he didn't want to hear it anymore. I, I see much more despair in Iran now than, uh, than there was two, three years ago, even though the situation, of course, was bad then too. And uh, you can say with uh, Biden in the White House, uh, things should be better for Iran in the near future. But I see actually more despair now than uh, we used to see in the previous uh, period. Jonathan, what, uh, what if uh, we are all wrong? Uh, what if uh, Raisi turns out to be an Iranian uh, Andropov, Andropov died soon after taking office, so uh, it was left to Gorbachev, uh, his protege. But Andropov came from the KGB and uh, or later uh, the clerk in South Africa or even Nixon in the United States, an anti-communist who uh, then led uh, for detente with the Soviet Union. Because Raisi has impeccable credentials with the regime, could he turn out to be the uh, not anti-revolutionary uh, leader, but one who took Iran out of uh, the doldrums and into something uh, else. Now, I see that Mayor Javad Anfar is nodding his uh, head. He does not agree. He doesn't give uh, Raisi any uh, credit for it. But we have seen um, even more surprising upheavals in uh, world history. At least the question is, can we do something to encourage such a change in behavior? Can the West, can Israel, by negotiating, by talking even uh, through a secret channel, uh, promote um, such an expectation? Well, considering the fact that Raisi was uh, one of the panel of four that had direct uh, decision-making in mass murder of about 30,000 Iranians uh, might play a factor here. And, and another point, and I'd like to ask uh, uh, both of our distinguished panelists, uh, and we'll start with Mr. Javed Anfal. When uh, the inauguration of Raisi took place uh, in the Majlis, if I'm not mistaken, we saw all those uh, leaders of various uh, countries and organizations in uh, the forefront, the ones who received the front row seat uh, included Ismail Hania, the chief of Hamas, uh, uh, Naim Qasim, the deputy secretary uh, general of uh, Hezbollah, the chief of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the second most powerful proxy in uh, Gaza, a uh, Houthi representative, and uh, there was a list of other uh, internationally recognized terror organizations and people on the wanted list of Western countries sitting on the front row while the only representative of Western society in that uh, uh, place received a second row, even though, of course, the vice minister of Japan was there also and other people from countries who have connections. But uh, the fact of the matter is the political director of the European Union's Foreign External uh, Commission, uh, Mr. Enrique Mora, was there and he was placed behind uh, those uh, arch-terrorists. What does that have to say about who Ibrahim Raisi represents, who might have had uh, a key role in choosing the placement of those specific people? Um, there's, there's a problem with uh, Amir's question. If Amir was asking this question uh, on the day we heard the news that Ayatollah Khamenei has passed on and there's a new replacement, then that would be a more accurate question because 
uh, Andropov's uh, equivalent in Iran is the supreme leader, it's not the president. This is one of the problems of the position of presidency in Iran, where it has most of the responsibility and but not much of the authority. We saw this right at the beginning of the Islamic Republic of Iran with Bazargan, who was the first prime minister of Iran. After six months, he said, being a prime minister in Iran is like having a knife, but the blade is in someone else's hand. So today, the president has the authority that the prime minister had back then. The position of prime minister has been eliminated since then. So, first of all, so I think that the question is structurally unsound. Secondly, um, from judging from Raisi's past, I don't think he's going to um, he's going to bring much change. And Raisi owes his existence uh, to Khamenei. He's a, he reminds me a little bit of Ahmadinejad, who was a nobody, who was put on a pedestal because he was going to do Ayatollah Khamenei's bidding in everything. And at the end, we saw what happened. The only thing I would say that there is perhaps a chance of change is that Raisi also becomes fed up of taking all the blame for everything while not having responsibility. That may happen. That while, while not having the authority to change it, that may happen. But Raisi on his own does not have the power to change things. And as I said, he's he's there because of Ayatollah Khamenei. That's why he was selected. What should Israel do in the meanwhile? Israel should always. Uh, try to talk to its enemies and not, you know, we, we should, we try, we, we can try it with the Omanis, I understand if I'm not, if I'm mistaken, uh, we tried it with the Russians, always try, but you cannot be hope, you cannot be hopeful. When Ayatollah Khamenei, because of ideological reasons, refuses to buy vaccines from the United States and from the UK, a decision which is going to cost hundreds of thousands of lives inside Iran, that means there's not much hope that in the near future, in the long-term future, he's going to adopt an even more ideologically challenging decision, such as talking to Israel. But and that means right still, still, Mr. Owen, we'll still we'll touch. No, but in the long time. in the long term, Khamenei will not be there, and perhaps Raisi will succeed. Him. Possibly, possibly, indeed. But Mr. Mechavi, I'd I'd like to hear your input into this uh, discussion. Yeah, I, I tackle it a little differently, even though the. Um, Conclusions are not that different. So first, I, I will begin with the with the uh, last thing that um, Mr. Oren said. Yes, I think Israel should try and talk, even with its uh, you know its worst enemies. Uh, it's always you know I think helpful to try to have a secret channel, try to reach some agreement, some red lines at least. Let's say in the warfare between us, etc. Yes, that's always a good idea. Now, as for Raisi, the way I see it, I when I see someone like Raisi, I ask, what is his um, you know, what, what, what are his foundations? What is his source of power? And here I slightly disagree with, uh, with Mr. Javed Anfar because uh, I think unlike Ahmadinejad, who was very popular when he was elected for the first term, actually he was a popular president. He was a pro at least popular president-elect um, back then. This is not the case with Raisi. Raisi is, a, is, is truly a puppet of Khamenei, uh, he was groomed by Khamenei all over the year, uh, all throughout the years. This is not the case of Ahmadinejad. Very different. Uh, he is, you know, all his career, uh, especially its uh, skyrocketing part, as you know, in the judicial system, was thanks to Khamenei, and he, he really has no source of power, neither in the clerical establishment nor in the in the with the people. So he's only, you know, that leaves you only with the IRGC, with the Revolutionary Guards. 
again, as being people who do the bid of the of the supreme leader, then that makes that gives Raisi's power. This is why I'm so pessimistic in in the broader sense of things because I don't see Raisi um, being able to challenge the supreme leader the way. Uh, let's say Khatami did back in the late 90s, Ahmadinejad later on in, from a different angle, or uh, President Rouhani, even as his ticket. Uh, I, I don't see anything of that sort with Raisi, because again, he, he really owes who he is to uh, to Khamenei. Indeed. Well, Mr. Oren, I'd like to uh, divert into the foreign policy of this uh, government. Everybody expects the Raisi government to be more difficult, if you will, being, of course, as uh, uh, was said here, a puppet of the supreme leader who's quite offensive in his actions, even though he's quite calculated also uh, in order to survive his expansionist aspirations. How do you see this actually taken into account by Saudi Arabia, by Israel, by other contenders in the region, including Turkey for that matter, who look at Iran, which is quite hollow from the inside, incapable of feeding its own people, but at the same time is quite adamant on feeding its proxies and bolstering its proxies, even though in a diminished manner? So uh, no one uh, operates in a vacuum. And uh, it doesn't really uh, matter whether ideology is the uh, driver behind uh, Khamenei and uh, whoever is the president uh, at the time, because there are other uh, forces at play in the Arabian Gulf, uh, in the uh, Gulf of Oman, the CENTCOM area of operations, and obviously Israel, Turkey, as you said, Egypt, other powers, uh, because um, they may push uh, in Tehran, but there's always pushback. So uh, they have to take care of it, to consider it. And what one may say after 42 years plus of the revolutionary regime, um, the first uh, almost a decade under Khomeini and the rest under Khamenei, is that the fear that they are going to be suicidal is no longer there. They are quite conservative according to their own uh, criteria. Um, of course, their main um, uh, idea is to uh, have the regime survive. If they can export the revolution, fine. But if they encounter resistance, they will uh, redraw their lines. And what we have seen is that Israel and other forces have been battling the entrenchment in Syria and other places. So it stands to reason that Iraq and perhaps Yemen will be the main fronts from the regime's uh, point of view if they can have some uh, targets of opportunity, so much the better uh, from their point of view in Syria and uh, elsewhere uh, on the maritime front. But uh, they will probably draw the line in Iraq especially now that the U.S. is obviously withdrawing regardless of the administration in Washington. I think it's important to know that this is also the U.S. intelligence assessment with regard to the situation vis-a-vis -vis Iran, that Iraq would be the main battlefield, however, not the only battlefield for that matter. Uh, and therefore, I'd like to ask you, Mr. Javed when we're talking about Iran's 
proxy warfare on a regional scale. We see, of course, the various meetings with the list of uh, uh, arch-terrorists who were present in Raisi's inauguration. To what degree was this a signal of the expansionist policy, also considering the fact that, for instance, Hezbollah in Lebanon is losing power because of its inability to pay other Shiite groups the, the funds that it used to pay, which were then given by the Iranians and then supported, uh, including Amal, if uh, in the past uh, an Amal member used to receive $2,000, now it only receives $50, uh, $50 a month, something that, of course, creates a lot of resentment, not only towards Iran proper, but also towards the proxies which it uh, has there to represent them. Um. I think Ayatollah Khamenei is going to continue with Iran's regional policy. I think it's even more important for Ayatollah Khamenei and the deep state which he represents to continue uh, with the supporting these groups because Iran's hands in the negotiations are very weak. We all know what's happening to Iran's economy and to the standing of the Islamic Republic uh, among the people of Iran. And also Ayatollah Khamenei in terms of um, energizing his own supporters uh, needs to continue with the Iran's foreign policy in the region for domestic purposes because Iran's pol policies in the region have created a defense industrial uh, complex which feed hundreds of thousands of families of loyalists to the regime of the IRGC and others who are involved in this and for this defense industrial complex to continue with its missiles and UAVs and 16 different types of uh, uh, centrifuges that they have uh, they have created, the, the Islamic Republic needs to continue with its policy. So I think we, we're not going to see any change. Instead, we are going to uh, see uh, Iran, Ayatollah Khamenei, pushing for more influence in the region. However, Jonathan, and uh, uh, there's something I would like to add in this discussion, which I think it's important for, for your viewers. Uh, we all know that at the beginning of the revolution, neither the U.S. Or the, or the state of Israel was Iran's enemy. It's the Islamic Republic that chose Israel and America as its enemy and started all these activities which have led to where we are today. At the same time, we cannot ignore the fact that Khamenei has suffered two major defeats, which I think has, have had a major impact on his way of thinking. One of them is Trump walking out of the nuclear deal. No matter what we think of Khamenei, at the end of the day, uh, it was Trump that broke the deal. And this was a major, this really justified him in his position of where he is regarding the U.S. Of course, there are other bigger reasons. He already was ideologically opposed to the U.S., but this was a major blow, if you could say. The other justified one in the, the eyes of the Iranians. Sorry, just one second. The other one is the killing of Qasem Soleimani. I think Qasem Soleimani was as close as you can get to Khamenei's brother. Khamenei's own brother is a reformist. He doesn't agree with Ali Khamenei. But Qasem Soleimani was the closest thing that Khamenei had to a blood brother from, if you could say, from a different mother. And he was killed by the Americans. And we cannot ignore the psychological impact of these two developments on Khamenei's thinking. Indeed. Well, uh, with regard to the latter, obviously, uh, there are consequences to each action, which brought about the uh, targeted assassination of Qasem Soleimani. And with regard to the first part, of course, uh, maybe Khamenei takes uh, note from the past saying, when they're hungry for bread, give them cake. 
maybe is now referring to yellow cake, but let's ask about uh, uh, the next part, Mr. Merchavi. When we're talking specifically about uh, the latest developments on the, the global front, not on a regional scale, it seems like Iran has chosen, for obvious reasons, the side of China. It is seeing China as a potential strategic uh, uh, backstool in order to try and contend with its own regional challenges and then playing its own role within this great power competition, even though uh, being uh, on Chinese side has different implications than when a nation chooses to be on the side of the West and the United States. How do you see this actually impact Iran on the short run and then also on the long run? Yeah, so I see the, the, the fact that Iran was pushed, and this is how I see it, pushed to the arms of China uh, as, as a sign of weakness, really. And I think Iranians know it. And there was harsh criticism from within uh, the establishment, really, uh, about this uh, great agreement, you know, multi-billion dollar agreement that Iran signed with China, because the question was, well, why do the Chinese like us so much? They must have a reason. Uh, so, um, so there was a gre- great, I think, uh, tension in Iran about it, and I think it's another sign that Iran, and I'm slightly optimistic here, uh, Iran, I think Iran's uh, activity in the region is, is somewhat weakened uh, since early 2020, I would say, uh, really since the uh, killing of uh, Soleimani, um, and because, yeah, I, I, I do agree, and here I connect with what uh, Mr. Javadan Far said that uh, this killing of Soleimani was more than just an assassination. Uh, and I would add Fakhri Zadeh too. I mean, the fact that these people were targeted, the, the fact that they were, um, which shows they were under surveillance for quite, you know, quite some time. Uh, and the fact that uh, Iran is so deeply infiltrated by whoever wants to do something there uh, with the means, uh, I think that the message went through. And yes, the fact that Hezbollah is weaker now uh, by the day, uh, Hezbollah was, uh, I, I think, has never been in such a situation as it is now, not even uh, in, the, in the years of the war in Syria. Um, so I think Iran's uh, shining star is, is somewhat dimmer now uh, than it used to be. So I, I, again, I see the uh, connection with China as actually a sign of weakness of the Islamic Republic, not of strength. Can I ask something? Very shortly, one sentence. I think we also have to look out for developments in Afghanistan with Taliban coming to power, and that could also impact Iran because it it has already set off a wave of immigration. It could grow to something even bigger, and with Iran's water resources, you know, what they are, this could turn into another security challenge for Iran. Closing sentence, Mr. Owen? Because of that, too, uh, propaganda aside, rhetoric aside, they will have uh, to uh, make an assessment cold assessment in Tehran. Are they going to be better off without Biden, without the current Bennett-Lapid government in Israel? Do they wish for Trump and Netanyahu to come back to office? Are they going to have a better deal then? And if they see it the way they are uh, probably going to, they will cut a deal in Vienna. Well, so it seems, but this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Mr. Javed Anfal, Mr. Melchavi, and Mr. Owen for being uh, part of today's panel. I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.